Luke chapter 4. Um, it's where we've made it. <clears throat> I'm going to read the text. It should be on the screen above. Uh, if you would follow along and then, and then we'll jump in. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him. And would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we told all night and we didn't take anything. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. The word of God for the people of God. If you're a guest with us, we journey straight through the text. We've been in Luke for some time now. And let me recap where we're at, and then we'll be seated. Um, Jesus has been baptized. Jesus has been tempted by Satan. Uh, Jesus preached his first sermon, and people clapped, and then they tried to kill him. Jesus then preached his second sermon, um, and he cast out a demon inside the synagogue. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so people are flooding Jesus at this moment. Like a, like, a, like a doctor who doesn't charge a copay, for real. They want to see what he can do. That's why they're, they're flooding him. And, and as we've journeyed through that, you may have thought, man, that's really great for Jesus. But that doesn't apply to me. I can't do those things. So, so how, what do I take from the text? Well, today's going to be super practical. It's going to be six takeaways from Jesus' life that we can look at that begins to take who Jesus was and embed into our mission and our purpose. It's going to be very, very applicable to our lives for, I guess we could say, everyday Christians. Um, Because if we can see what the life of Jesus looked like in the right way, we can figure out what a life in Jesus looks like for us. So that's where we're going to journey through the text. Um, So today's title will be something along these lines. Just do something. (laughs) In quotes, anything. Just do something. Let's pray, and then we will journey through the text. Well, Lord, thanks for this text. Thanks again for a chance to gather as God's people. Thank you that within this room, we've got people of all generations, um, multiple ethnicities and nationalities. We've got people um, from different socioeconomic, different parts of the tracks. We, we are a hodgepodge, but we're your hodgepodge. 
And so we're here, Lord. We are here to gather and we're asking you to take this text, move beyond the voice of men, and um, speak. Speak, if you would, by your Holy Spirit. Call us to, um, to, to do something, something for your glory to make a difference. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So, the text that I read just a second ago um, was the whole of the text. And as, as I was studying through it, I began to jot down notes. And the notes compiled at about 15 pages. And I was like, all right, if we try to do this, we ain't never getting out of here. And ain't nobody ever coming back. <laughs> all right, this is going to be too much. And, and so, we're going to take that text and we're going to split it up. So, for those of you who are following the outline that we handed you at the beginning, and you've already come to me and said, hey, we've already broken the outline. We did, and then we fixed it for you. Today, we're breaking it again. All right? So we will mess up the outline if you were following along, but we will get you a new outline out there. We're going to take that and, 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 and just kind of do two weeks. So here's the deal. We've set the stage. Jesus has showed up on the scene. Um, he's done all these grand things, and we're trying to ask the question, all right, what does that mean for me? Like, How does that change my life? Does it, does it do any difference? Or is it just Jesus is this guy, and I'm this guy, and we're really not kind of... I'm just trusting in him for salvation, but is, like, does it do anything? Does it change anything is the question that we're asking we're going to get at today. So let's just look at it. Again, I said I think there's six things we can see through that passage. We're just going to take three of them today. Three things that I think we can learn from Jesus that's super applicable to our lives uh, that is worthy of us walking out the door. And today, when you step foot on that gravel out there, you'll go, okay. This makes a difference now. So we're going to look at that together, right? So let's look at it in pieces. Number one, verse 42, we can learn this. Um, and when it was day, he, Jesus, departed and he went into a desolate place. The first thing applicable we can learn from that is solitude is a gift. Solitude's a gift. And so a lot of times in Scripture, Jesus will be doing things, people will be pressing in on him, and then we'll see him retreating, going away. And this is the first time in the text in Luke that we're going to see Jesus just had to, he had to get away to a desolate place. So I want to say something. To those in this room who are actively giving your life away in ministry. Now when I say that, I don't mean by that um, that you're on staff at a church or whatever, because that's, that's irrelevant um, whether you're on staff at a church or whether you are on staff at Nucor, if you're a believer, all of our call is to be engaged in ministry. So, so when I say if you're actively engaged in ministry, some of you guys are engaged at the schools and at your, in your home and at your workplace and at the bottom. Like you are giving your life away in ministry. Okay? And there's a lot of people in this room doing that. And, and so I want to speak to you. According to this text, it's okay to say this that carrying the pain of people's lives is exhausting. It's exhausting. When you're carrying the weight of other people's lives through ministry, that is exhausting. Uh, when you're laboring for the healing of other people and serving them in the way um, to bring about healing, that is, that's exhausting. When you're meeting felt needs in other people's lives, that is absolutely exhausting. Preaching is exhausting. Jesus is preaching left and right. That's exhausting. Think of 
Um, maybe you have never preached before. Jarrett did for his first time this past Sunday. He killed it, did he not? Yes, he did. He, he knocked it out of the park. Um, I called him on Monday to check in on him, and he said, I've been asleep the whole day. <laughs> he said, I think I'm ready to quit. I'm like, it's your first sermon, man. You can't quit just yet, right? It's exhausting. Um, imagine when you were in English class and you had to, a whole semester to write a 10-page paper and then you had to present it. You remember that? Well, that's what preaching is every single week. 10-page paper, present it, do another 10. It's exhausting. Jesus is doing this. Leading is exhausting. Training others is exhausting. And for you guys who are not in staff leadership at a church, but you are doing bivocational ministry... You're out serving the Lord and also working. That's doubly exhausting. I get it. It is something that is excruciatingly excruciatingly, um, tiring. And here's the deal. The reason I say this, if you're engaged in ministry and you're thinking to yourself, why am I so tired? I want to hear you. I want you to hear this. Don't let Satan tell you that you're abnormal because you're exhausted. That's normal. If Jesus had to get away to a desolate place, why would you think anything less or different for you? He's tired. He's pouring his life out. And that is exhausting. So solitude is modeled by our Lord in this text. And if you're actively giving your life away in ministry, it is a gift for you to embrace. So maybe the question practically today is, hey... Maybe you're exhausted and you've been giving your life away. Maybe the Lord's calling you to solitude for just a little bit. What does that look like for you? Maybe we'll unpack that in just a second. But I I will also admit, and and Julie Beth, I'm sure, is staring a hole in me right now because I stink at solitude. I am terrible at it. Um, And the elders have very clearly pointed that out to me here recently. Um, The danger... In being busy, you'll break. You'll break if you're not careful. So let's do this. What is solitude? What is this desolate place? What is this? And I want to define it by first by what it's not and then what it is. Solitude by what it's not. Because solitude is so often misunderstood in today's culture. And some of you maybe have already gone there in your head and, and maybe we'll unpack this. Solitude and sabbatical is not a vacation. It, it's, it's not just a chance to get away and, and go on a trip to Disney World or Hawaii or whatever. That's not what solitude and Sabbath is. Solitude and sabbatical is not isolation. It's not just simply getting away from the crowd or just kind of pulling away and separating yourself from other people. That's not what it is. Solitude and sabbatical is not a moment to unplug and unwind. It is not a moment to just go sit by the pool and eat, drink, and be merry. Woohoo! It's not that. Um, it's not a time to go sit in the hunting stand and watch the deer run by or shoot at one of them or whatever. Um, it's, it's not a time for family board games. It's not a time to roast s'mores. It's not a time to, um, to just kind of unplug and just do nothingness. That's not what it is. It's labor. Solitude is labor. It's labor to seek the direction from the Lord and make sure that you're plugged into the right things. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe in your life you've just been so busy that you're not, you, don't, you don't even know what you're doing, much less anybody else. 
you're just kind of doing all kinds of things. And maybe you just need to pull away in solitude and go, hold on a second. Lord, I'm not here to just go eat s'mores and to enjoy an adult beverage or a steak or whatever. And just kind of, that's not what it is. But maybe you're at the point in life where you need to pull away and go, Lord, I'm doing so many things. I don't know if I'm doing what you want me to do. Anybody in the room? Maybe you're there. If Jesus did it, then might you consider it? And so this is what's going on. So that's solitude by what it's not. What is solitude by what it is? It's embracing that if the Lord pulled away to seek direction, then maybe so should we. It's saying no to good things to seek the greatest thing. Jesus could have done all kinds of things. People are literally pressing in on him for him to perform a miracle. And what does he say to them? By going away to the desolate place. He says, no. I won't do the good thing. I won't heal you. I won't do this. I've got to get away. And solitude is this sometimes. It's realizing that Satan does not have to kill you with sin if he's already killing you with busyness. Right? It's a calculated disconnection to labor for a season to reconnect. It's feasting on the word and begging the Lord to sift your soul with zero distractions. How long has it been since you've done that? Since you've just got away with the word and just chewed it and said, God, I will not leave this hammock. I will not leave this chair. I will not leave this lake. I will not leave this. I will not leave this bed. I will not leave whatever it is until you speak to me, Lord. I'm not going. How long has it been since you've been there? That's what it looks like. Solitude looks like. And solitude and sabbatical is intentionally rebooting and just asking God and seeking, okay, God, what's next? What's next for me? Man, I. I pray that you walk away with that. If you don't walk away with anything else today, I pray you walk away with that. The Lord wants to meet with you. He's available to meet with you. But it's going to take maybe you pulling away from the TV or, God forbid, social media for two minutes. Right? Right? Right. Get away. Solitude is a gift from the Lord. So with that said, and, and I promise you, I promise you this was not a setup. It just is in God's sovereignty of how this landed. So you can go to any of the elders and ask them, this was not a setup. Because it's going to be like, Troy just said all that because of what he's about to say. It it just happened this way. Um, The month of December, I'll be gone. Um, I will be out of town. I will have no phone. I will have no way for you to connect me. Um, If if you need to connect with someone, connect with the elders. Um, So... Again, to strategically seek the Lord's face, just to get away. Um, been in ministry now for 27 years. Um, have taken one, one break, uh, and it's time. It's time just to pause. Um, and I praise the Lord for some elders who walked up with a piece of paper and said, Hey, have you ever read our sabbatical policy? And I was like, yeah, I wrote it uh, 14 years ago. And they were like, hey, how about we practice it? <laughs> how, about we, how about we take a look at this? Just kind of see what's going on. Uh, So I'm going to be doing that in December. And and I'm trying to ponder these things in my head. What does this mean? What does this moment mean? Just to get away and break for just a minute. Um, So as I go into sabbatical, um, 
there's a lot of things that I'm not certain of, but there's one thing that I am certain of and one thing that I'm incredibly thankful for. So I'm going to read this list and then we'll keep going on through the text. I am very thankful at this moment in life that the Lord has me here um, just to pause and to go into sabbatical and to seek his face and to chew and labor through the text to go, God, what are you... If I'm just doing a bunch of things, being busy, then I'm not leading well. And I just want to know, Lord, where are we headed as a church? Where am I headed? God, speak. And I need to hear that. Here's what I'm thankful for as I go into sabbatical. I am thankful that we have a capable and equipped deacon team at Safe Haven Church who has given their life away for ministry. I'm, ca- I'm thankful that we have a capable and equipped staff team leading the church. I'm thankful that we have a capable and equipped preaching team that is capable of leading the church. Um, we got the three J's that are about to be before you every Sunday. Uh, Jim, Jarrett, and Johnny. So apparently if you preach at Safe Haven, you got to have a J name, which I'm trying to figure out because mine is a T. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we have a capable and equipped kids team, a capable and equipped youth team, a, a Kayvon and, and the leadership. I'm capable, we have a, a capable and equipped music team and technology team and, and a, a, a bearded drummer and... I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we have a capable and equipped church family that loves one another and shares life with one another and does community with one another and gives their life away for one another. I'm, I'm thankful that we have a capable and equipped elder team who loves me enough to say, Troy, enough is enough. Let's breathe. I'm thankful that you're awesome. I'm thankful for that. Um, so on behalf of my family, um, as we move into this season... Um, number one, thank you for being you. And number two, are you next? Do you need to seek the Lord and go, God, what are you doing in my life intentionally and strategically? So that's the first thing. I told you today was going to be practical. Um, so practical step number one is to see in this text that solitude is indeed a gift. But no matter how exhausting ministry is, bailing is not an option. It's not an option. Let's keep reading the text. And so after his solitude, the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, notice these two words, I what? Say it out loud. I must, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Number two, takeaway number two, activity is essential. In the Christian life. Activity is essential in the Christian life. What I'm trying to get at is this. Jesus saw that he indeed in this moment was God's plan A. And there was no plan B. Now what does that mean for Northport, Alabama? You ready for it? You are God's plan A. And there is no plan B. You're it. You're the one who's called. You're the one who's called to give your life away and labor in ministry. So, um, the other question on the side of that is, remember back to who was God's plan A for you? Who did God use in your life to awaken your heart to understand the gospel? Think about that person. Maybe it was a basketball coach. Maybe it was an RA leader. Y'all remember RAs? As a royal ambassador, I'll do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ, to have a Christ-like concern for all people. Y'all remember that? All the Baptists in the room remember it. If you're not Baptist, you're like, I don't know what gibberish you're talking about. Right? You, maybe it was them. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your grandmother. Who was it for you? 
Maybe it was that time that you went and sang Christmas carols, hopping around. Maybe it was um, a, a, a co-worker. Who was it for you that they led you and they pushed you and, and they were like, I must do something for Jesus and you were the object of their must? Who was it? Now the flip it. God has called you to be that for somebody else. Jesus goes, listen, I must, I've got to do this. What I'm trying to get at is this, Christianity is an inseparable belief system and lifestyle. It is a belief. Christianity is a belief, but it's also action. Here's what I'm trying to get at in that. If we believe things without a lifestyle, then Christianity is just impotent academia. It's just head knowledge. If it's just a belief, right? But if it's just actions, then it's just dead works. There's nothing fueling it. There's nothing driving it. There's nothing that gives it substance. It's just basically being the Red Cross. God did not call Christians to be the Red Cross. Just to do things. But to do things with purpose and meaning, driving Jesus behind everything that we do. It's inseparable to separate those two. So, what I'm trying to say is, church, we're not missional. If all we do is sit around and read blogs and draw up dreams of how we could do mission. Mission takes fervor when we step out and go, all right, by gosh, I'm just going to do something with intentionality. And Jesus goes, I must, I must do this. So we're only as missional as our hands are actively serving others with the gospel. What is God calling you to do with your hands this week to serve others in the gospel? There's something. What's he calling you to do physically? Um, we, we can't be someone's savior. That's true. But man, we can be their servant, can't we? We can do something. Um, anything. And we're also only as missional as our mouth is actively proclaiming the gospel. So there's hands and there's mouth. There's this duality to it. Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, the greatest activity that you can be involved in is telling others about the great activity of Christ. That's the greatest thing we can be involved in. In sharing the good news. And lastly for today, let's not overcomplicate the method. How did Jesus do this as we wrap it up? On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret. Watch this. And he saw two boats by the lake. I couldn't get past that this week. If you underline your Bible or highlight your Bible or whatever, underline that. He saw two boats, because I think that's the key to this passage right here. It's just Jesus seeing two boats. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets and getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him um, to put out a little further from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. That's the second time we've seen that he sat down to teach. Have y'all caught that? Did y'all catch that last week? In, in American culture, you stand up to teach, not in their culture. You sat down to teach. So he sits down in the boat to teach. In other words, how did Jesus, what was his method? He went in isolation, and then he went to get active. I must. And what was the means by which he went to get active? All right? Track with me. You're going, all right, maybe I do need to think about what the Lord wants me to do. 
and then I need, to, I need to gather this. Okay, I must do something. What do I do next? Jesus looked out, and he saw two boats. That's what was next for him. It wasn't this grand moment of, okay, all right, I'm going to take some fish and some bread and do a David Blaine miracle. That's, and, he, and he wrote it down. He schematic, schematized it. Is that a word? John, is that, can it be, he schematized it, right? He didn't do anything. He just said, okay, the Lord has got me. I must do something. What am I going to do? There's two boats. Boom, I'm doing it. Does not overcomplicate evangelism. And so in this moment, he just looked and he was aware. That's the takeaway number three. Awareness in Christian living is indispensable. Just being aware of our surroundings. What's next? Now, here's a neat reminder in this text. Peter and the others were friends with Jesus before they were disciples. You ever thought about that? Or has your concept maybe been a lot like mine of, okay, Jesus just went out, he saw some fishermen, he went and got them, and he said, hey, boys, you're now disciples. Will anybody be honest and go, I've also kind of thought that? Anybody? No! He's friends with them. He's fishing buddies with them. He's told stories with them. He knew that the pattern of the culture was, we'll go to church together, and then we'll go fishing. So for all you fishermen who you're like, can I fish on a Sunday? Jesus did. <laughs> they went to the synagogue. And then after that, they went fishing. This was just the custom of the culture. Not only that, but he knew where their boats would be. And not only did he know where their boats would be, he knew that they'd be washing their nets. Like they were buddies. They hung out. They, they told stories in my crazy head. I can only imagine some of the other things that occurred in the fishing boat. And if you're a fisherman, you're like, okay, that's not yeah, there's no telling what occurred with these guys. They're hanging out. So they've done this several times. They've laughed. They've joked. In other words, they had a real friendship just like yours. And Jesus leveraged that real friendship around their real boats, around their real dirty nets to take it and to spin it into a moment that was miraculous. Let's not overcomplicate evangelism. What has God called us to do? Get away. Pause. God, what do you want me to be doing? Decide to actively engage. Look around. See what those things are. Whether it's a golf ball (laughs) or whether it's a fishing net. And then step into them with the proclamation of how awesome Jesus is. That's what he's called us to be. And so in this moment... Evangelism is less about a supernatural tent revival and way more about just hanging out in a boat. So lest you think to be engaged in ministry, I've got to rent a tent and then get a great singer and a great speaker and a great whatever. Maybe you just need to go throw some wood in the back of your yard and set something on fire and then cook a s'more with somebody and just talk about how awesome Jesus is. That's what evangelism looks like. Don't overcomplicate it. In other words, mundane moments become miraculous with prayerful intentionality. So, are we expecting that people are going to come to Jesus upon meeting the Christ in us? Like, are we even expecting that? Man, I hope you do. You're God's plan A for somebody. 
be it. And there is no plan B. Step out. Do the thing. Brag on Jesus. Boast about Him. Cook the s'more. Hit the golf ball. Put the line on the thing. (laughs) The thing. Bart, what's this thing called? Thank you, brother. Amen. Put it on the reel. Yeah, it's obviously not for me. Yeah. Do it. This week, God wants you to use your fishing net in the aerobics class. At the workstation. At the youth group event. In your community group. At the gas pump. In the restaurant. At the school sporting event. On aisle eight at Publix next to the potted meats. I swear I put that in my notes. And I don't even know if potted meats are on aisle eight. But he wants to use you there. He wants to use you there. Everyone craves being a part of a grand story, a grand narrative. There is no grander narrative than for you to tell somebody else about how awesome Jesus is. I'm a great sinner. He's the great Savior. Let's eat some potted meats. <laughs> Let's pray together. Well, God, there's no doubt that in this room, especially a room of this size, that you want to use everyone in here that's a believer. And that there is fruit with their name on it. God, would you use us greatly this week for your glory? Isolation, activity, and just awareness. God, there's no doubt that you want to use the people in this room with kingdom agendas for Northport and beyond. God, would you give them the reminder that the outcome is not their weight to bear? But the effort is. God, that we'll be reminded that if life is all about us, then we're just wasting our lives. But God, there is a real life to be had. And a real life to be found when we give our life away for the gospel. Use Safe Haven Church for your glory beyond anything we could have ever dreamed or imagined.